0: Hello and welcome to the podcast of Pastor James Biddle and Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. Father, we thank you for your word. It is living, it is active, according to Hebrews chapter 4. And Lord, I just thank you that your word, Father, today goes into our hearts in Colossians 1-7. It produces fruit from the moment that it enters. God, my prayer this morning is 2 Corinthians 5-5 for a mighty deposit of your spirit in the people. I've been praying over these people, Lord, that you've brought here today, that they would, Luke chapter 5 and verse 1, they would press in to hear your word. Father, you said in Mark chapter 4 that the measure we give unto your word, it would be measured back unto us. And so we receive your word with gladness. We receive your word. We, James 1:22, God, we will be doers of your word, not just people who hear and walk away unchanged. But we commit to doing the will of the Lord in Jesus' name. And if you agree, would you just say amen? Amen. So we began last week talking about why church. Why do we do church? Why do we have church? Why all the time, all the energy, all the resources, all the finances, all the money, all the sneezes? I mean, come on. Why do we, all the flu handshakes? I mean, why do we do, why do we do church? And we begin to talk to you about God's purpose and design for the church. <coughs> and we will just quickly quickly, quickly catch you up to date if you are not here. The first thing you're going to see on the screen is the church uh, of today has a purpose. And and I want you to see this PowerPoint for life. I believe the gathering of God's committed community I believe the gathering of God's people in a committed community is essential to our spiritual growth and spiritual well-being. Ladies and gentlemen, I say this in the kindest way possible, but church is not optional. Being a part of the body of Christ is it's a body, it's a fellowship, it's a family. And so church is essential to us growing in our walk with God. We cannot grow to fullness in our walk with God in isolation. We need each other. And then we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to see this just to kind of review. Paul is writing to Timothy. He's a young pastor. And Paul says, I'm on my way to see you. But if I'm delayed in my coming, notice he says, I write that one would know how to conduct himself in the household of God. Notice this here, in the household of God. That is a family. That is a people. We told you last week the church is not a building, the church is not a place. Thank God for places, thank God for buildings. How many of you know this summer we thank God for air conditioning? We thank God for a roof. I, I was at a, a call just this week. I'm, I serve as a chaplain for the Knox County Sheriff's Department. I was at a call, and we were out in a park, out in the open, and it was raining, and we were in a storm, but I had to be there. That's what I signed up for. How many know today I thank God for a building? But we, and we say we're going to church. What we really mean is we're going to the church service because I'm going to show you from Scripture that I am the church. Wherever I go, the church goes. Well, you can't bring religion in here. You can't bring God in here. The moment that I walk in the door, I bring God with me. The Bible says in Hebrews, He'll never leave me and He'll never forsake me. And according to this passage, the household of God is the church of the living God. Say this with me if you can and say it loud. Say, I am the church. And so the church is the household. It's, it's a family. We talked about last time when you go overseas, uh, you fill out the customs form, and it says how many are in your household, how many are in your family. Ladies and gentlemen, the church is a people. The church is not just a place. It is not just a building. The church is a people, and it is a committed community of followers of Christ. And it says here that the church is the pillar and support of the truth. Jesus is the way. He's the truth and the life. What is the church? We are the pillar and we are the support of the truth. We are the pillar and support of Jesus in our community. Isn't that good news? And we talked about, we won't take time to look at it, but First Peter 2, God is building a house. God is building a spiritual house. And every one of you is a brick and a block in the spiritual house of God. Every one of you fit into the, the church. And we talked about uh, where does the word church come from? You'll see this on the screen. The word church uh, that the Holy Spirit chose is uh, ecclesia, ecclesia. Ekklesia. Ekklesia means those that are called out, those that are separated for a purpose. And we gave you the history of this word, and I'll bring it back out today, not to bore you with review, but because it's very important. The Ekklesia in the original language in the first century church. Why did the Holy Spirit use the term Ekklesia when he chose to describe the body of Christ? When the Holy Spirit chose to describe his bride and the body of Christ, the committed community of believers, why did he choose Ecclesia? What did it mean? And we shared with you that words today mean something different than they meant maybe 10 years ago. How many of you have kids or middle schoolers or high schoolers and you find out that words today don't mean the same thing that they meant yesterday or, or you know back in the in the day and so what did the word ecclesia mean to the first century church it was a group of leaders called out of Athens the city of Athens in Greece they would call out and elevate leaders and those leaders would make decisions for all the community they would decide who could stay in the city they would make the city ordinances they would decide the judicial matters they would vote on different positions they would tell who could stay and who could be banished they were the authority in the city, and so the Holy Spirit looked through the annals of time, and He said, "What can I call the bride of Christ?" He said, "They will be the ecclesia, they will be the assembly that is called out from the the world, and they will be the voice of authority in their family. They will be the voice of authority in their community." So the church of the living God was designed to be God's voice in our community. The church of the living God was designed to bring the authority of heaven to bear in our world. We are the church. We have a purpose despite what the news might tell you. Despite what the latest magazine may say against the church. We have a purpose and we are the church. Can I have a big amen? Amen. This fires me up. If Brooke Martin were here, I'd say this lights my candle because she likes that. But this light, this lights my candle, praise God. This is exciting because we have a purpose. We are here, each of us, we, we are all here in this time in history for a purpose. You could have been born in the first century, second century, but Meshach, God needed you now. God needed you as a part of the church now. You are the answer. You have the solution. You know what makes a significant life? A significant life, the root word there is sign, something that points to one greater. My life is significant when my life points to Jesus because I'm the church. I am the church and I love it, I love it, I love it. Look at the next screen. Let me read this to you (coughs) just like it's in my notes. The local church is a body of individuals who have been called out and called forth and separated for the purposes of God. This is not just a 90-minute commitment on the weekends. Church is not just coming to a worship service. So many people in our society think they're doing God a favor by coming to church. And they'll come to church on Sunday and make a 90-minute commitment, and then they'll live like the devil on Monday. How many know that there's a disconnect there? Church is not something we go to. Church is who we are. It's the household of believers. That's why I can be in Peru with Luis, and he's my brother, and we can have a connection, and and time and distance is not separating us. doesn't matter who his mother and father is. We have the same heavenly father. He's my brother. That's why I can meet Meshech from Africa and never have known him, never had any connection, never had any family ties. But when we meet and we carry that common bond of followers of Jesus, we are family. We are family. Yes, let's give God praise. And we need each other. That's why Satan tried so hard to divide the church. Because a house divided can't stand. And we want to stand for the Lord. Remember, the church is the pillar and support of the truth. Who's the church? So David is the pillar and support of the truth. How strong is your pillar? Is the truth kind of lopsided on your end? Are you holding up your weight? See, we need everybody supporting the truth. So we've been called out. Notice this here, this wording. We, the ecclesia, the called out ones, are called to make decisions that will affect the very atmosphere of our local region. We should set the tone for our community. We're the voice of God in our community. And we gave you this next bit here that the church has two really, two expressions. One is the global church church. Made up of all believers of all time, from all races and all uh, cultures. And then we have the little church with a little c. And that's what we are. We are a little piece of the big puzzle. And how I many you know. there's nobody that has it all figured out. We're not the most important game in town. It takes everybody, every believer making up the body of Christ. And so that's very, very important. You know, Jesus is committed to building his church Jesus is committed to establishing his church. Ephesians tells us in Ephesians, I think it's chapter 5, that Jesus loves the church. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You should learn to love the church. What is the church? It's people. We should learn to love people because we are the church. (laughs) Now, I want to get into some things this morning. Uh, concerning the church and the purpose. And we, we talked about last time that God has given us authority. Remember in Matthew chapter uh, 19, Jesus said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom and the gates of hell shall not prevail. I will build my church. I'll give you the keys. I'll give you authority. How many know keys are important? Keys give you authority. If you don't have a key to this facility, you can't just walk in here anytime. But if we've given you a key, we're saying you have access. You have authority to be here. How many know keys are very important? This morning there was some uh, uh, things we've been doing, some uh, minor renovations and hanging some lights and fans. And there were some boxes and some old lights I needed to carry out. And we keep the basement door; it automatically locks for security, so people go in and out when it shuts. We won't worry about any coming in downstairs for the kids. And so I was getting the light fixtures in my hand. It was about eight thirty this morning, just going to carry them out, put them in the dumpster. And the Holy Spirit said, "You ought to get your keys." I was like, I don't need my keys." But you know what? I got them anyway. Because when I come here, I'm the first one here in the morning. And if you want to join me, I would love some company. I mean, it's a little lonely here at 8 o'clock. So come on and join me. We can pray, hang out, and have coffee. I get the pick of the best coffee. I mean, it's awesome. But when I come here, Susan, I lock the door. Because how many weirdos show up at church before anybody else? <laughs> and I always want something. And I don't have anything to give them except you know, pray for you and maybe cast out a devil or two. I mean, who knows? And so, always like a cup of coffee, yeah. But seriously, I just, it's just something I do. I, I don't want anybody coming in that doesn't need to be here when I'm here by myself. And anyway, I don't want anybody sneezing on me, you know, if they can avoid it. I mean, but uh, so I locked the door. And so I am carrying, I've got all this stuff. Chelsea, you would have loved to see me. I've got all this stuff in my hands and I'm holding it and I'm like trying to balance it and I know that door because I turned a little screw on it the, the door wasn't closing right so I adjusted the screw and that thing just it, it slammed shut now because we will make sure it's shut and I'm sitting here and there's a broom and I can see it I can see this broom and I've got my hands full and I'm trying to hold the door open and I thought if I can just get this broom over here I'll keep this door open and guess what the door shut but guess what I listened to the Holy Spirit and I had my keys so I came around the front door amen That was a long story just to tell you keys are important. And and I'm a living proof of that. But Jesus said, I will build my church. I'll give you the keys. I will give you authority. I will give you access. We're the church. We have authority of God. Amen? So I want to jump in today to the calling in Christ for the church. And I have found an acrostic that we're going to use. And I'll just be honest with you and transparent. I found this. I saw this. And it was so good that I stole it. How many know plagiarism is the highest form of flattery? Amen. And so I stole this. And I'll write the pastor a letter that I stole it from and tell him that I stole it. And he'll probably be happy. But now I did take this. And then then the Holy Spirit just bloomed this in my heart. Took it in a totally different way than what I saw and what I read. And so while I did steal his acrostic for the calling of the church, this applies to us, this applies to our body, this applies to where we are today, And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, if you will get a hold of this, and if I will get a hold of this, this will not only change your life, this will change the culture of our church, this will change our community, this will impact the kingdom of God. Are you ready to go? Uh, Those of you that can spell, you'll know when we're about done. (laughs) And so there you go, that'll help you. All right, number one, (coughs) the first calling for the church is Christ-centered living. Christ-centered living, and I began to let this kind of kind of sink into my heart and marinate like you would marinate a good steak overnight. Uh, for the last several weeks, I've been just chewing on this and meditating on this, and one of the, the visions that God has for the church, who's the church? We are the church. One of the visions that God has for His people and for the church is to establish in their family and to establish in their community Christ-centered living. Now, I want to just turn immediately to Colossians chapter 1. I want to take you on a journey this morning through Scripture. Because, remember, we've been given the keys. We've been given authority. My job is to bring the will of heaven to earth. My job is to be a voice of authority in the kingdom of God because I'm a part of the church. It has nothing to do with being a pastor. I don't have authority in the kingdom of God because I'm a pastor. I have authority in the kingdom of God because I'm a part of the church. And Jesus said, I will give you, the church, the keys to the kingdom. That's where my authority comes from. Satan is not afraid of me because I have a microphone. Satan is afraid of me because I know my authority in Christ because I'm the church. That's a good place to say amen. Rencom likes that. Now notice this here in Colossians chapter 1. Let's journey through these scriptures together. I don't want to just preach to you my opinion this morning. I want you to see it in God's word. Colossians 1.15 Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme. He has preeminence over all creation i want you to notice here the supremacy of christ this is talking about our lord jesus look at verse 16 for through him god created everything in the heavenly realms let me know jesus is pretty important it says and and even uh through creation and, and heavenly realms and on earth he made the things that we can see and and the things that we can't such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities And uh, John in his writings echoes this in John chapter 1 about Jesus was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Notice this. Everything was created by Him and for Him. Jesus is supreme. He has preeminence. Look with me at verse 17. Verse 17 says, He existed before anyone else and anything else. He holds all creation together. Somebody say, Jesus is important. He holds all things together. And then in case you forget who's in charge of the church, he reminds us here in verse 18, it declares Christ is also, verse 18, and we went ahead just one, it says Christ is also the head of the church. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. So I'm the church, I'm a part of the body, I'm not the head. The pope is not the head of the church. The assemblies of God leaders that I love and pray for, they're not the head of the church. As your pastor, I'm not even the head of this church. I'm an under-shepherd under the great shepherd. Christ is the head of the church. And so the job of the church is to keep Christ in his rightful place. There are places who call themselves church There's Unitarian churches. There's Church of Scientology. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, if you take Christ out of the church, there is no church. It is not a church. It's an organization. What makes the church? Christ, who's the head of the body. So our job as the church in our community is to plant our flag and make our stake and say, we will have Christ-centered living. Everything we do will revolve around Christ. Everything my family does will revolve around Christ. Everything this church does revolves around Christ. Several years ago, we had a, a gentleman here leading worship, and he came from a different background, different denomination. <clears throat> and his mom came, and I know, mean, first time you meet mom, you know, you want to preach real good because you like the young man, and you don't want mom to talk the young man, you know, out of being in your church. and And so... Uh, uh, she came in and she said, so what are y'all, y'all about? Because it was a totally different denomination. I said, "I said, just to sum it up, we're all about Jesus. She said, well, I'm all about Jesus. I gave her a high five right there. I said, then we're going to get along great because it's all about Jesus. And look at this in the next passage here. For God in all of His fullness was pleased to live in Christ And so God put everything he had, he put all of his stock, so to speak, into the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must keep Christ supreme in our family. This church will never get off the path that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is central. We are called to Christ-centered living, meaning I am going to be held accountable for the authority God gave me to train my family, to train my children, to lead this congregation, that Christ is the center of everything that we do. He is the heart of the church. It's our assignment to give Jesus supremacy in our community. Now, what happens if we don't? Why is this important? Look with me at Colossians chapter 2. Let's journey through another passage this morning. I want you to see what happens if Christ is not the center of all that we do and the center of who we are. Look at verse 6, Colossians chapter 2. Media team, you're doing awesome. Come on, can we encourage the AV team? Man, they're doing a great job this morning. Appreciate those guys. And now, just as you've accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Leave this up for just a moment if you can. Let's say that together, because I want that to sink in. Ready? Let's read it together. And now, just as you've accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Now, I want to talk about something here that, you have to bring balance to, but this is, how I mean, you know we're growing, we're learning together. And I say this, not only to you, but to those listening online. We have, and I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of people that find our podcast from all kinds of cities and all kinds of states and all kinds of countries. And they're listening to this. And so not only are we talking to you today, but we're talking to someone that God may lead because they may be dealing with this. So if, I want to say this in a kind way, a gentle way, and, and I want to say it in a thorough way, but And I don't want you to hear the wrong thing. So listen close to what I'm going to say. And now, just if you've accepted Christ as Lord, you must continue to follow Him. And this is what I put in my notes. And I'm going, to, I'm going to throw it out there and then I'm going to clean it up, all right? So here we go. There is no evidence. Somebody say, no evidence. There's no evidence that we are to ever work for, earn, or deserve our salvation. It is a free gift in Christ. It is grace and faith plus Nothing. And even my faith, Ephesians 2 says, is a gift from God. So God gave me the grace to be able to accept Him as my Savior. He gave me the faith to believe in Him. Everything about my salvation is an absolute free gift from God. There's no evidence that I ever have to work for, earn, or deserve it. But, 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 there is evidence that once I'm saved, I must continue to work in my salvation. I'm no longer working for my salvation, but I am saved to work. The Bible declares, if, if you will automatically continue in Jesus as your Lord, why would this scripture admonish us to continue in the Lord? It's one thing for Jesus to be Savior, but it's another thing for Christ to be Lord. Lord means boss. Lord means he is supreme. Lord means he is pre- has preeminence. Lord means that I submit to his will, not my will, but yours be done. Well, what are you talking about, Pastor Philippians chapter 2? Let me just quote it. It's not on the screen, so don't panic, media team. Philippians 2 says to work out your own salvation. God works it in, and we work it out. God is working salvation in Susan. That's his part. It's Susan's part to work that out. How many of you know people who were saved and born again, but they did nothing? They made no difference for the Lord. They didn't do anything with their salvation. And so we must continue to follow Him. Once you accept Christ, there's an all-out assault to get you to turn away and walk away and reject and lay down your trust in Christ. Well, what about James chapter 2? He says, faith without works is dead. You can't work for faith. You can't work for salvation. But once you have faith, it should have accompanying works with it. Faith without works is dead. Don't get mad at me. I didn't write it. I'm just quoting it. I'm just the UPS boy. I'm just bringing the package. You don't have to sign for it if you don't want to. I'm just a delivery man today. This is what I thought in my heart. We were at the Waffle House yesterday. Can I have a big whoop whoop for Waffle House? So Lillian had this little baby doll. A little cute baby doll. She loves this baby doll. She carried it in, which you're not supposed to bring baby dolls inside. Somehow it slipped past the gatekeeper you know mama and so you know we wound up seating six kids is hard enough I don't need a seat for the baby doll as well amen but she had this little baby doll I was thinking about that baby doll in this scripture and that baby doll on the outside it looks it looks beautiful it has all the details has the hair has the hands has the most perfect smile you've ever seen flawless but it is absolutely, utterly dead. It's pointless. It has no life, Susan. But on the outside, it looks awesome. It's beautiful. But it can't make me breakfast. It can't mow the yard. It can't work and earn money. I mean, it can't, it can't contribute to society. It has no life, no blood. It is totally useless and dead. So if you have faith, you look good. You look like you've got it all together. But if you have not works, you're just like the baby doll. You're useless in the kingdom of God. I don't mean that in a condemning way. But that's what the Bible says. We must keep Christ as our Lord. Once He's our Savior and Lord, we must keep Him in that place. What about Hebrews 10.23? Lest you think I'm preaching heresy. It says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. We've got to hold fast. That means be deliberate. It means be intentional. It says, he who promised is faithful. Meaning if I'll hang on, God will certainly hang on. Remember that scripture, no man will ever pluck you out of my hand. God's got a grip on me. And as long as I'm following the Lord and seeking God, God will never let go. But I've got to continue to follow him. Now look at verse 7. I knew we were going somewhere with that. Amen. Look at this. Thing. Let your roots. You know why we need each other? You know why we need to come to the church service? You know why we should invest in Wednesday night Bible studies and life groups and journeymen and women of grace and moms groups and because it says let your roots grow down into him. Meaning you can be a believer. You can be shallow. You can have no root. And this is something that I heard the Lord say. No fruit, no root. No root, no fruit. Let me say it right. No root, no fruit. We've got a lot of believers, but they're shallow. They're not growing in the things of God. That's why I'm so proud of you for being here. Notice this here. It says, then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Look at verse 8. Don't let anyone capture you. This is about keeping Christ as the center of our family, keeping Christ at the center of our church. If we do not, there's consequences. Notice here the warning. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking. How many of you have ever ran into someone and had a conversation with them about Things of God, things of the Bible, and they, all they could talk about was nonsense coming from human thinking. All they could think about was empty philosophies. Anybody ever met anybody like that? Sometimes, let me help you here. Sometimes when you encounter someone and you're sharing your story, you're sharing your faith, and they don't receive it, sometimes it is just Nonsense in their own mind. Sometimes it is empty philosophies keeping them from the cross. Sometimes it is just human thinking. But there are other times, notice the scripture and it says, or from the spiritual powers of this world. Sometimes Satan has actually blocked their mind and you need to be able to recognize so you can come against it. So it says here, rather than from Christ. So instead of Christ being preeminent, instead of Christ being supreme and at the center of everything, if we let that go, we are, we are subject to empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense, human thinking. We are subject to spiritual powers of this world. That's why it's so important. Look at verse 9. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, So you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and every authority. The church is the anchor of godliness in the community. We won't take time to read it, guys, but Ephesians 1, write this down if you're taking notes. Ephesians 1, 18 through 22, talks about Jesus and His supremacy In our world and it says this it's his church. It's his hope. It's his calling. It's his holy people It's his rich inheritance. It's his great power. It's his authority He's the head over the church the body if you remove jesus from the church. There is no church Our job as a church is to keep christ at the center of everything That we do so that's the first c Now let's move on to h Not only is christ-centered living our calling that's, that's our guide. But this is what I really believe the Lord wants to help us with today is, is healing hands. Healing hands. I want to take us on a, a journey this morning through some revelation the Lord's been developing in my heart. Because this, I believe, will be life-changing for us. I mean, you know You cannot read the Gospels without noticing the healing ministry of Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? It seems like he's either coming from healing someone or he's in the middle of healing someone or he's going to heal someone. I often wonder, why did Jesus choose divine healing and, and miracles and that sort of thing to establish his power? He could have chosen anything to display that he was God, that he, was, that he had the authority of God and the power of God. But why did he choose in his earthly ministry to display that through healing, healing hands? And if Christ is the healer, and if Christ healed, and the church is his body, should the church not be an extension of Christ? Should we not be now the healing hands of Christ, in our family, in our communities, and in our world, in your employment, on your job, at your school, among your friends, should we not be the healing hands of Christ extended? Look at John fourteen twelve. You know this? You could quote it well, but I want you to see it. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me... If you are in here this morning, and you are an anyone, would you please raise your hand? Okay, hundred percent. You can't ever say you're a nobody anymore because your pastor said you are somebody. You are an anyone, Amen. It says, "If anyone believes in me, he will do the same works that I've done." What works did Jesus do primarily on the earth? Yes, he taught. Yes, he cast out demons. Yes, he did. We see benevolent things, giving to the poor. Those are all great things and godly things and things we should do. But if, if you were to point to one work that is seen over and over and over again in the Gospels, what would it be? Healing of the blind man, healing of the leper. You can't read, you can't read a few chapters without running into Jesus colliding with broken humanity. And he says, Peace be still. He calms the storm. says, You're healed. Go your way. Show yourself to the priest. You're healed. Spit in the mud. Put it in his eyes. We see a dead man. Jesus loved to crash funerals, praise God. How I many know he wasn't very popular among the funeral directors? If you were to point to the work that Jesus really displayed, what would it be? If you're honest with it, if you're honest with the gospel, what is one of the primary works that Jesus did over and over and over and over again? He was a healing hand. And Jesus said to his followers, Only the 12 apostles who believe in me will do the same works that I've done. He said, anyone, anyone. That's from CEO to housewife and all the way in between. That's Joseph King in the back. That's Meshech up here on the front. That's Ellie over here. That's everybody in the room. Notice this here. We'll do the same works. Now, Now, I have a problem here, Brother Art, with this because... Because we can't even get to the next line because we're not even doing the same works. We have people saying, this is the time of greater works. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not even doing the works yet. Jesus said, we'll do the same works and even greater. I would love to see the greater works, but you know what? Right now, I would be happy just to see the works. I want the greater works. I'm believing God for it. (laughs) But we're not even doing the works yet. It says, because I'm going to be with the Father. And he's talking about releasing the Holy Spirit, which is celebrated today all over the world. Today is Pentecost Sunday. This is the day that represents in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost, that means 50, 50 days after Passover. It's the day of the harvest. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, the Holy Spirit was given and released into the earth. The power of God was given to indwell each of us. Now let me take you on this journey here, Mark chapter 16. Hang with me this morning. Man, this fires me up. I'm trying to idle the motor. Because I feel like a, a little helicopter just about to just about to take off. As so I start spinning out of control and bust through the ceiling, you know what happened. It's just Mark 16. I really feel that way. I'm locked down. Hanging on, Pastor Rick. Check this out here. I want you to notice some things. Mark 16, 16. There it is again. Anyone. Anyone, that's my nine-year-old son. Anyone, anyone who believes in me, and is baptized will be saved. Anyone who f- refuses to believe will be condemned. That's what Pastor Rick's talking about with International Day of Prayer. We cannot let. We cannot read this verse and just pass by that anyone who doesn't believe will be condemned. Because we have the answer. We bring the solution to bear because we point to Christ who is the answer. That verse should grip everybody in the room. Look at verse 17. These miraculous signs will follow. These miraculous signs will accompany, meaning when I go out as a believer, these signs go with me. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe in my name, they will cast out demons. Demons. They will speak with new tongues. Look at verse eighteen. In my name, they will pick up serpents, and we're going to explain that with some balance. You know, we're not going to be passing around the copperheads anytime soon. One time, somebody said, "Is your church one of them snake handling churches?" I said, "Actually, it is. You should come and visit us." And they said, "Really?" I said, "No, of course not. You gooberhead. What do you think?" Now, George, I'll tell you what, George, man, went to a church one time with a very, very kid, a very small kid with someone in his family, and he was sitting on this little box, and they're like, George, get off that little box, and it had little holes in it, and he was really in a snake-cattle church, okay? So listen, I promise you, we were not bringing out the copperheads. One time, Elijah found a, uh, he did find a snake in the parking lot, and he was running through the parking lot on a Sunday, dangling that snake. I said, get him out of here. We might have visitors, and they're going to think we're one of those crazies. I don't need Channel 10 News here the next day, all right? Okay? So what that's talking about is divine protection and divine provision. Now, now let me... This is just how goofy people are. Look at this verse. And if they, if they pick up... They will pick up serpents and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not harm them. You know, I see these snake handling churches, but they're never passing around boxes of rat poison in the chew on during the sermon. They only take half the Bible. Hey, have some of this rat poison. It's really potent today. That's what I just don't understand. If you're going to do the Bible, do the Bible, Amen. And so what this is talking about is as you are going, because this is an ancient Arab world here. There were snakes. If you looked at, you felt like you were going to die. Seriously, I mean, just uh, the king cobra. You ever heard of the king cobra? I mean, this they were. So as they were going, people would try to sabotage them, try to poison them. And 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 they would come into harm's way. Remember Paul in the book of Acts, he's I think it's in the later books twenty-seven, twenty-eight, he reaches down to build a fire and a viper latches on his hand, and, and the, the people say God is judging him, and he shakes it off and they say, We want to believe the God that saved you. Paul had read this passage. He knew that as he reached down and that viper latched on. That Thank you, Lord. You said, as I'm going, as I'm doing your will, I am safe and protected. Pastor Michael works in the inner city. Could be viewed as a dangerous place. And he said last, two weeks ago, he said, the safest place I can be is in the will of God. Amen. So it's not talking about eating rat poison. Please don't do that, okay? Please, please, please. And don't ever bring a snake in here, amen? The ushers will escort you right out of the door. <laughs> now, notice this here, and they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Look at verse 19. When the Lord had finished talking with them, when he had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven. This is like the last final assignment from Jesus. Hey, boys, I'm leaving. But don't forget, I'll be with you. Don't forget, I'm going to give you a new heavenly language that you can communicate with me one-on-one without any interference. Hey, boys, don't forget that as you're going, you're going to run into danger, but I'm going to protect you. And oh, by the way, do not forget to lay hands on the sick so that they recover. He didn't say, go have church picnics. Why don't you thank God for church picnics? He didn't say, have fall festivals. Which we will do. Thank God for fall festivals. He didn't say spend all your money on a building, so you can't do any other ministry, and just gather as big of a crowd as you can. But you know what? The the four things, the five things, whatever they are, that Jesus said to do, I see the least of in the church. He said, "Don't forget, cast out demons." Now, I mean, I'm not. That's not something I'm like just raising my hand, excited for, believing for. You know, to be honest with you, I've never really embraced it. Not from a sense of theologically. I totally believe it. Totally, it's totally there. And I've seen it in other countries. And, but it's not something that I've embraced. Meaning like, how do I explain this? Less you think less of me. But it's not something I've just looked for, searched for, pray for sick all day long. But I'm not giving altar calls every week. for. Okay, If you've got a demon today, come on down. We're going to take care of that for you right here and now. But it's there guys and so the lord has convicted me i'm not i'm not gonna run around a a, a demon hunter All right I'm not gonna run around looking for people demon possessed, but you know what, pastor rick i've been praying lord If I encounter someone who is under the dominion of the demonic I will be a vessel and if you need to use me to speak to that thing to break that dominion off their life Then so be it And listen, it doesn't take 42 hours to cast out a demon Never it doesn't take 13,000 people gather around him yelling and screaming for the demon to come out. It takes a word. Jesus said, you go. You don't even talk to me. You leave. And the Bible says, and he cast them out with a word. No offense against people that do that, but I'm telling you, we make, we make, it's, 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 and you don't even have to yell. Satan, in Jesus' name, I break the back of your bondage on this person. Set them free in Jesus' name. You don't have to yell. You don't have to be loud. Now, does that manifest in different ways yet? Yeah. And again, if if you've seen that, I mean, it, I've heard all kinds of stories. But that to me is very scary. Can we be honest? I don't want someone sliding under my church chairs here like a snake. <laughs> this is fairly new carpet. I don't want you foaming at the mouth on our carpet. Angela and Carrie would hate that. I mean, they clean the carpet. I'm not, but, but you know what? If the Lord wants to use me to help bring... Be an agent of deliverance to someone? Who am I to stand in the way? So when the Lord had spoke to them, he received was received up into heaven at the right hand of God. Now look at verse 20. Remember, we're talking about if anyone, if anyone, anyone who believes. Look at verse 20. And they went out and preached, so they obeyed. Notice this here. Teaching oftentimes precedes the miraculous. Uh, And I'll explain that in just a minute because it's very important on how we manifest this, this power of God. Many times we see Jesus teaching and then healing. Notice this here. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them. The Lord was just taken to heaven. But He's now working with them. And it says, and He confirmed His word. He confirmed the message with signs that miraculously followed. And it goes on to say that they went on and reported all these things to Peter's and his companions. So God has a part, and we have a part. Now, let me just bring this down to home where we are, okay? Jesus said, go. He said, we need to share. We need to do what he said. We need to lay hands on the sick. We need to believe for the miraculous. We need to take authority over the demonic. That is, our part is to go and obey. God's part is to bring the results. I cannot bring the results. It's God's part to bring the results. My responsibility is to obey, So it's my part of going could be walking across the office at work, walking across the hallway. My part of going could be in Kroger where I see someone who has a physical need and the Lord prompts my heart to talk to them and to share some scripture with them and to pray with them. My part is to go. It's God's part to bring the power. God sees His church as a place of healing physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. Time and time and time again, the early church demonstrated Jesus was alive by being a healing hand. That's how they demonstrated that Jesus was alive. Listen to this prayer in Acts chapter 4. Listen to this prayer that the New Testament believers prayed. Acts chapter 4 and verse 28. I want you to notice this on the screen. I'm going to read it and she's going to track with me. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. Look at verse 29. And now, O Lord, this is the prayer of the early followers of Christ. And now, O Lord, hear their threats. Give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Verse 30. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After this prayer... They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the Word of God with boldness. When is the last time you sat down with your family and prayed that prayer? Now, let me show you some revelation here. You ready? Look at verse 32. Everybody say it's about to get good. Look at verse 32. Uh, You may have never seen this. Are you ready? And all believers were united in heart and mind. What were the united in heart and mind around? It wasn't the color of the carpet. Okay? Okay? It wasn't how much to spend on a church bus. Those are all good things. What united the early followers of Christ in heart and mind? The prayer they just prayed. That God would stretch out His miraculous hand. We're united. That's what God wants to do. That God would heal many with miraculous signs. That's what God wants to do. That we would have boldness to preach everywhere. That's what united the early believers in thought, mind, and purpose. They were united that although Jesus had risen from the dead and He was in heaven, they were united that God wanted His church to be a healing hand. It united the early believers. Now notice this in verse 32. 33, the apostles testified powerfully. That's right. Yeah, there we go. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now, let me help you here. Get out of Sunday School 101. Thank God for Sunday School. But get out of Sunday School 101. How many of you have ever heard me preach a message and walked away going, he testified powerfully today that Jesus was alive just by my preaching? And my preaching is really good, praise God. I listen to my own tapes. I mean, the apostles testified powerfully. See, what I'm doing today, David, I'm testifying that Jesus is alive. But I don't think anybody in the room today is going to leave from this sermon and go, because there are charismatic speakers. There are a dime a dozen. Let's be real. People can move a crowds and stir an emotion. How did the apostles testify in a powerful way that Jesus was alive? By seeing the miraculous, by being the healing hand. By selling all that they had and giving it, by being extremely generous. Jesus being the healing hand through His church is how they testified powerfully to the resurrection. We should be testifying in a powerful way in our community about the resurrection of Jesus. So real quick, we're going to go fast here, but I've got, to, I've got to hit this. Let me give you four Holy Spirit helps to being healing hands. Isn't that sneaky? subpoints under the point. Let me give you four. We're going to go quick here. Actually, go ahead and pull them all up, Bethany. I want us to just pull them all up so you guys can write it down. Four Holy Spirit helps for healing hands. Number one, we're going to go through these really quick, is our assignment. Number one is our assignment. The Bible says in Mark 16, we just read it, that these signs would follow those who believe. Everybody in the room, you have an assignment to be the healing hands of Jesus. We read in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus called the 12 disciples together. And it says, He gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease. And then the Bible goes on to say in Matthew 10:7, it says, Go and announce the kingdom of heaven is near. Verse 8, Matthew 10 says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons, give as freely as you have received. Jesus gave His apostles an assignment. Well, but Pastor James, that was the 12 apostles. Only they could function in that. Oh, really? Really? You must have never have read Luke chapter 10. Your Bible must not have that printed in Luke chapter 10. Because look with me, Bethany, at Luke chapter 10, verse 1. Luke chapter 10 and verse 1 declares this. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. So he appointed, he was realized that this job was bigger than just what the 12 could do. He said, I need more help. He appointed 72 others, and he sent them out in groups of two ahead of him in every town where he was about to go. Now listen, listen at verse 2, ladies and gentlemen. We have an assignment from the Holy Spirit to be a healing hand. He said, go, the harvest is plentiful, but the worker, somebody say worker. When you work, you have an assignment. How many of you work during the week? How many of you just do whatever you want to do and hope something gets done? No, you have an assignment. Workers have assignments. Notice this in the Bible. It says, He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field. Go, I'm sending you. Look at verse 8. Look what happened. Look in Luke chapter 10 in verse 8. And it says, When you enter a town and are welcomed... Eat whatever whatever's offered to you. How many know your pastor struggles with that verse? (laughs) When I go into towns and foreign countries, I don't wanna always eat what is offered to me. I have to really Really fight through that, just to be honest with you. How many you know this is a scripture I do not have highlighted in my Bible? (laughs) Now look at verse 9. Now look at this. Here's where I want to go. Ready? Look, he sent out the 72 others. You're a worker in the harvest. You have an assignment from the Holy Spirit. Go out and heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of heaven is near. Be a healing hand. Say, I have an assignment. Now look at number two. You ready? We have authority. The 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 second Holy Spirit help is I have authority. Look at Matthew 28. In verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given authority in heaven and earth, therefore go. I've been given authority, therefore go. I've got authority, now I'm sending you. I'm going to show you something here It's going to rock your world. I've never seen this before until this morning. I was going over this, Pastor Rick, just reading it and reading it, and the Lord showed me something incredible. Ready, therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 20. I've never seen this before, George. Teach new disciples. Never seen this. To obey all the commands I've given you. What did we just read in Luke chapter 10? Go out and heal the sick. Cast out demons. What's a command in Mark 16? We should, we should be teaching new believers to fulfill the great commission. Meaning you get saved, you get filled with the Holy Spirit, next day you should be out praying for people to be healed. Teach these new, doesn't say teach the older established disciples. That we should know this. We should be the beginning of the kingdom of God. You need to be filled with spirit. You need to get your heavenly prayer language. We need to train you and give you the authority. To, uh, God's given you to cast out devils. You can go tomorrow. You just got born again. You can go lay hands on the sick and watch God help them recover. Come on, can we give God thanks this morning? Let's give God praise in this house. The new believers. We've been doing it all wrong. How many of you agree that this is for future generations? This commission is for future generations. I'm going to close with this. Our modern day commission is incomplete. The church says we want to do the great commission, but it's more like the great omission. We're omitting the great commission. There's more to the great commission than just going and telling. Go and show and demonstrate power. Power. That's the Great Commission, ladies and gentlemen. We've omitted healing the sick, other miraculous signs. So number three and four, I'll, I'll, I will smoke through these. The, the third... Help of the Holy Spirit is anointing. We won't look at it, but Acts 1.8 says, You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you. 1 John 2.20, you have an anointing from the Holy One. That word anointing is just the power of God. It's God's hand on you to do what you could not do. When TC and Samantha are together and they're on campus, they have the power of God backing them. When they pray for someone, they can trust that they're connected to the power source. This is the church. This is how we have healing hands. And then number four is the attitude. Here's the attitude, I'm going to obey and leave the results up to God. Here's the attitude, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to step out in faith and pray for that coworker. I'm going to step out in faith and pray for my neighbor. I'm going to step out in faith and pray for my family. We should go into the business world, go into our employment, go into our neighborhoods. Step out in boldness and God will meet you with power. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you. It is alive in my heart. And Lord, I pray that we would be your healing hands extended. God, I pray that we would take the great commission in every element. And we would go forth in power, in the resurrection power, that we can testify. God, let it be said of us that we testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord. In Jesus' name, with every head bowed, every eye closed. My response to you this morning is, and and I know we went longer than normal, and I apologize. I would say I'll make it up next week, but that's probably not likely either. But let me just encourage your heart this morning. As I'm teaching and preaching and showing you the Word, something leaped in your heart and said, That is it. That is the key. That's what the church has been missing. But it's not up to the people in the building whose name starts with Pastor. It's not up to Pastor James. It's not up to Pastor Rick. It's not up to Pastor Michael. It's not even up to just our elders and board and ministry leaders. It is up to the church, and you are the church. Imagine if God's power was displayed in your neighborhood like it was in the early church. What would our ministry look like? What would our church look like if we took the same approach to healing the sick that Jesus took in his early days? What would it look like if your family took the same approach that Jesus had? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm commissioning you today to be the church. You've been given authority. You've been given the keys. Well, what if I pray and it doesn't work? What if you pray and it does? We can't let fear stop us from stepping out in obedience. Pray this with me in your heart. Heavenly Father, give us opportunities to be your healing hands. God, nudge us this week. This week, God, nudge us and say, I don't even know you, and I'm so sorry. This may seem weird, but but I noticed you have a physical inability or an ailment. I sense the Lord just want me to pray with you. I believe Jesus is a healer. He's alive today. The Bible says God wants to heal His people. Can I pray for you? Step out in obedience and leave the results up to God. Release your faith. Faith without works is dead. Let's be the church in our community. Let's be the church in our city. Grant it, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on. Can we give God thanks this morning? Man, I'm wound up like the Energizer bunny. Ushers, would you come? Thanks for not leaving before the offering. Praise God. Today, we want to give you a chance to sow into the ministry, to sow into the going. And if you do not have a student in here, if you do not have a kid going to kids camp, if you do not have a kid going to youth camp, would you prayerfully consider making an investment It's a tremendous expense for our church to send everybody to camp. But we will turn no one away. And this is not just camp like, hey, we're going to hang out and have a day camp. This is where my calling was confirmed at this youth camp. And it's not the the building or the place. That's not sacred. What is sacred is the time designated for God. Both of my children receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit at this camp. It's just an opportunity for God to wreck their lives. I can take you to the spot on the concrete where the Lord put vision in my heart at 15 years old. I was very shy at 15. I was very uh, kind of almost, I went through a season where I was almost an introvert. And if you knew me, I wasn't. But, but around people, I, I was scared to death to talk in front of people until my freshman year when God got a hold of me. And I took a public speaking class. I was scared to death. How I many know it was an assault on the gift? But at that youth camp, I'm telling you what, it's just an amazing opportunity. They have fun all day, they get nasty, sweaty, and then at nighttime they have an encounter with God. I'm sending my kids, I'm paying their way, and I'm putting in a special offering to help others that maybe can't cover the whole cost. Our church is blessing with the transportation. This year we had to rent vans. Come on, can we give God thanks? Yes. We wouldn't fit in a car. That's awesome. We had to rent vans for youth camp and kids camp. Man, that fires me up. Next year, let's rent two vans for each, amen? The year after, let's rent a bus, praise God. Or let's believe God to give us a bus, amen? Would you please invest? And I don't make these pleas lightly or, 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 or often, for that matter, in this way. But it is really important to help our students get to an encounter with God. Their destiny could depend on this week. And I believe with all my heart. George, would you pray over the offering? As soon as you give, we we can be dismissed once everybody's given. We love you. Thank you for coming today. Thanks for hanging out, being a part of what God's doing today. We hope you were blessed. Amen.